Okay, so today we're picking, we're, our story that we're looking at is Mark, Mark, chapter 8, verses 1 through 26. But as we look at this story, I realized that last week's story ties into this section. And so I'm going to read, starting in chapter 7, verse 32, through chapter 8, verse um, 26, so that we can kind of see uh, the deaf man and the blind man, how they kind of connect the story that's in between. So with that, let's pray, and we'll get going here. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the freedom that we have to gather here to worship you, uh, to, to grow deeper in our relationship with you through the studying of your word. And Lord, as we look at today's story, we ask, Lord, that your spirit would lead us, that he would guide us, that he would illuminate the meaning of the Holy Scripture, uh, so Lord, that... Um, that our ears would be open, that our eyes would be open spiritually, and that we would understand um, just more intimately who Jesus is. For those that maybe don't know him as Savior, Lord, I pray that you would um, reveal yourself to them so that they would um, just see, as John Newton said, what a great sinner that they are and what a great Savior Jesus is. Um, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your saving power. We thank you for uh, the cross that cleanses us through and through, um, that we can be washed white as snow. Uh, we are grateful for this time that we have uh, to, to worship you collectively through the studying of your word, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 7, verse 32, or verse 31. <clears throat> Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, Within the region of Decapolis, they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. In those days, when there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people, because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. 
About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalman Methutha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. They had forgotten to take the bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, be beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, Twelve. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And when he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and they had brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for this story, these... uh, these four stories that sort of tie all together. Lord, I ask that you would help us as we navigate this passage. Um, Again, Lord, we ask that you would help us to have ears and eyes that are open to spiritual things. May we uh, see Jesus for who he is, and may we see ourselves for who we are in desperate need of him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. That was a mouthful reading. Um, so when we look at these stories, in Mark chapter 8, there's basically three parts. Um, I'll touch them as we get there, but we can see the map behind me. Um, we're kind of like a ping pong ball bouncing around. Uh, the story that we read from chapter 7, actually in the beginning of chapter 7, we start the story in Capernaum, the, where this, the oval is. That's sort of the headquarters where Jesus based his ministry out of. Um, it was there that the Pharisees, um, they made their appearance. They had been sort of absent since the last part of chapter 3 when they decided to plot against Jesus with the Herodians, that they were going to plan a way to, to take him off of the scene, to, to do away with him. And they came back in chapter 7. They confront Jesus' disciples. They say, hey, I see your guys don't go through the ceremonial washing of your hands. I don't understand why you're neglecting the teaching of the elders, you're going against our, our culture, our tradition, you're not doing the things that we've been taught. And Jesus basically goes right back against them and says, you, you, you guys sacrifice 
what the scriptures say in, in order to honor the, the teaching of man. And, and so he begins to share with his, first the crowd and then to the disciples, that, that humanity is dirty from the inside out, not the outside in. And so, which would have been a radical thought for them. And then he leaves Capernaum, they make their way up north to modern day Lebanon, and they go to Tyre and Sidon, and he, he meets this, this lady who would have been, this, this is unclean territory for the Jews, they, they wouldn't go there under any circumstances. This lady is pleading for her, her daughter, and she's a really witty gal, and he said, hey, the bread is for the children, not for you guys. And she's like, yeah, but even the dogs, like it crumbs on the bottom of the table. And Jesus is like, that was good. Okay, go, your daughter's healed. And, and he's teaching the disciples this lesson that the Messiah is for all people, and, and that these people that they thought would make them unclean can't make them unclean, that they were actually there to be a light unto the world. And so then the story moves from not on the map, the top left corner, back down around to somewhere in this region. The Decapolis kind of, it's the 10 cities. It's the southeast region of the Sea of Galilee. This is a Gentile country. No self-respecting Jew would be over there. Um, somewhere up here um, is the story that we, we met a few chapters ago about the, the demo, demoniac. Larry helped me last week. I think it's demoniac. Pontiac, something like that. Um, he, he's the one that the demons came out of him. They went into the pigs. The pigs went off the cliff. All of the people heard about this. They were kind of not happy with Jesus. So they kicked Jesus out of town. And then the man is on the side of the lake. Can I go with you? Can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, you go and tell your people about what I've done in your life, the great mercy that I've um, given to you and how I've like worked in your life. And now they come back to this region. We don't, we don't know exactly where they are. No city is given. But this time when they come to the Decapolis, they're met with all sorts of people. So last week, we see the story of this deaf man who, as Jesus comes into the region, they, they, they come to him and Jesus heals the guy. And so today, we pick up the story on this side. So, so scene one today happens over here. Then they're going to leave this section. They're going to go across the lake to a town that we don't, nobody knows where this town is, but it, it's believed to be right next to Magdala. Um, and so our story is going to go there, and then they're going to meet the, the Pharisees. And then it's the really funny scene, as they leave the Pharisees, the guys forget the bread, as they're going back to the other side and Jesus is talking about, this, about something else and they're going, oh man, he's just calling us out for forgetting the bread. Really funny story. So this is kind of the geographical flow of today's story. Um, so you guys can kind of track that as we go through. And in verse one, we pick up in those days. So like I've already said, the, in those days, this, this connects us to the story beforehand. They're, they're in the Decapolis region We'll see that they have been there for a, a number of days. Um, it continues, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. Uh, this sounds like a familiar story. Some skeptics will say that, oh, Mark messed up in his retelling of the story, that there was only the feeding of the 5,000. Um, 
These are two distinct stories. Matthew records two stories. Mark records two stories. Jesus, in the context of the two stories, says, hey, like when they're on the lake going back across, he's like, hey, don't you guys remember when I fed the 5,000? How many baskets were left over? And they said, oh, 12. And when I fed the 4,000, how many baskets were left over? And he said, seven. Uh, so, so these are, t- although it, it might sound a little deja vu going through the story, these are, these are two different uh, events. The first one happened in a very Jewish area. This one now happens in, in a very Gentile area, which we will look at more. We'll see some of the clues um, for that. So Jesus called his disciples and he said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now for three days. And have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come a great distance. And so right away we see the Jesus that we know, the the Jesus that is marked by compassion. He has a, uh, a, a practical awareness of the needs of the people. He'd been there teaching and equipping and sharing the good news of the kingdom with them. But at the same time, he, he's aware that they, they have a need. It's not, it's not thought that they didn't have food for the whole three days. It's more that they were at the end of their camping trip and all of their supplies had sort of dwindled down. And he says, we, we, have, to, we have to feed them. We have, before we end, we need to, we need to um, provide for them. This example of Jesus' compassion is, is something that this week has... Um, you know, it really should hit us all the time, but this, this week in particular, a few things happened um, that, that the example of Jesus' compassion, that, that we are to be compassionate people because our Lord is compassionate to us. Um, I think of Ephesians 4.32. When, whenever I say this, I, I, I think of my daughter Grace as like a three-year-old or two-year-old when she'd memorize this verse, and so I see this little girl's voice saying, be kind and compassionate, you know, <laughs> which says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, um, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Um, as we enter into to November, I think of um, early in my life, one of the, as a, young, as a young, young kid, I don't remember the details, I was living in Salinas, but I was made to go kind of work in a soup kitchen for Thanksgiving, and it had a profound impact of, of being compassionate to others and serving those that are um, in, in need. And, and, I, and I think that there's something, especially as we go into November, but really it should be year-round, that, that we as people who follow Christ should be compassionate towards those around us. I, I do want to give a special thank you. Um, I don't know how it happens, all I know is I think that Debbie and Karen are kind of like the two main ringleaders uh, uh, for the frozen meals. So all I know is there's a freezer back there and frozen meals appear. And so they're all gone right now because this week somebody had made some posts that I saw that was like, we, I'm really embarrassed to do this, but we don't have any food. And so then I reached out to the lady. And I said, hey, we as a church, we have food. And I'm like, Melanie, can you run over there? Melanie ran over there. And she said the girl was like in tears. And... And um, so if you want to be a, a part of this compassionate ministry, see Karen or Debbie, like I don't know who actually like has all the rules and instructions. All I know is that I love it 
that when I see something that I can say, you know what, we have food and that we can give you all these tins and, and to walk these tins out to people um, that, that are in need. Um, we, we live in a community that's it's difficult to, to connect sometimes, but, but it's nice to be able to respond when, when a need surfaces. Um, uh, but Jesus feels compassion for the people we're supposed to be like Jesus. He has compassion. We as individuals should have um, compassion. And so he says, I feel compassion for the people because they have re- remained with me now for three days and they have nothing to eat. And verse 4, <clears throat> his disciples, I don't know if it was all of them. I, I kind of see that it was one of them and they're all taking the blame for this. And his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to, to satisfy all these people? And I, I don't know if I'm reading into this story, but it's like, you know, it's easy to put Peter in play here or somebody, you know, kind of like Peter says it and the others are like, don't you remember? Like, why did you say that? <laughs> like, don't you remember? Like, the, the last time this happened, Jesus says, okay, go take care of it. And they're like, if we had a million dollars, we can't, like, how are we supposed to feed all these people? This is like, you know, 5,000 men translates to about 30,000 people. How are we supposed to feed Qualcomm Stadium? You know, like, how, how Jesus? And we're told that Jesus made him kind of jump through hoops to kind of, he's teaching them a lesson. And then Jesus miraculously provides. And so when I see this question, I, I'm sure it was just one or two asked the question. The rest of them are like, don't ask the question. Like, why haven't you learned? Like, and, and, I, and I love this section that in this story, Jesus doesn't press them on this issue. He, he treats them very differently. They ask the question, and Jesus is like, okay, well, let's just see what resources we have available. Verse 5, and he was asking them, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, taking the seven loaves. He gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. And they had a few small fish. And after he blessed them, he ordered them to be served as well. And so Jesus doesn't like, he, he doesn't seem to press in on them this time like he did the last time. He just said, well, what do you guys have available? And so he said, well, we have, we have seven loaves. Um, on, on that, I'm, I'm kind of con- conflicted on where I stand. You know, I'm not, I'm not a big numbers guy in the Bible. Like a lot of people like to tur- turn stuff into a, you know, they see stuff and then they try to make the text say more than it says with, you know, allegory, allegory and, Unless it clearly defines, I'm really cautious about it. Um, and so some like to really run with the number seven. And in, in this case, I don't, and the other one, there were, there were the 12 kind of flowed through there. And it's like, well, there's 12 tribes of Israel, and it's in a, is in a very Jewish context. This one, seven has the sort of the theme of completion. And, and we're in a Gentile area. And... So some would say this number seven is significant because it's showing completion that Jesus is for all peoples. I'm like, yeah, I can, you know, maybe. Like I, I'm not like opposed to it. 
it's interesting that they pointed out there's seven loaves of we have seven loaves of bread, and so then Jesus takes the bread, and or, or excuse me, what he does is he tells everybody, hey, everybody go sit down, you know, a crisscross applesauce, you know, so they like everybody go get little groups, let's get a little order here, and I don't know that they understood what was about to happen. Um, the disciples are like, well, we have these seven loaves of bread, and we see that Jesus gave thanks. Um, uh, again, simple, I don't want to make a, a mountain out of a molehill, but I, we're, it's November 3rd. Like, we're entering the month of, of Thanksgiving. You know, I'll, I, I, it kills me because I really love Christmas, but it's like, we got to, like, we got through Halloween. Now, like, let's have Thanksgiving. And then for those of you that, like, really like, they're like, let's get the Christmas carols going. See, Anna's really, she's retrained me to appreciate Thanksgiving more than I used to. And it's like, well, Thanksgiving comes really late, so we're really kind of getting in the way of Christmas carols. Like, like, but, but there's a lesson. I, like, I, I think that Thanksgiving, thankfulness, this is one of the earmarks of, of following Christ, that we're to be a grateful people. And there's something like, pure and simple about that Jesus has these seven loaves that, that, that kind of reminds me of where Thanksgiving came from, you know, that there wasn't much. And you almost... You almost are more grateful when you don't have an abundance. And, and so here he is, he's giving thanks, he breaks them, the disciples begin to serve them. I do think it's the disciples who are seeing the multiplication more than the people. I don't know that the people necessarily um, saw it firsthand like the disciples did. Then it's like they get the bread out, and then somebody's like, hey, I found a couple sardines. Like, this is when we're looking at fish. Like, we're, don't think like big old, like, salmons. We're, we're talking like little sardines. And, and, hey, I have a few small fish. <clears throat> and so then Jesus blesses those, and, and he served the fish as well. And so they had this two-course meal uh, to the point where uh, we'll see in verse 8. Um, and they ate, and they were satisfied. And so they... Um, they were satisfied. They got enough food. And to the point where there was leftovers, they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of broken pieces. Um, now, this term basket, it's, it's a small, there's a couple of you that will care about this sort of thing. Uh, but in the feeding of the 5,000, there was a word basket used as well. There were 12 baskets. That was a different type of basket. It's a much smaller basket. It was a very, it would be a type of basket that the Jewish people would use. And in this, these are seven large baskets. It's a very Gentile basket. And the best way to imagine it is think of it like a laundry basket that, that you would, they would use to kind of go to the grocery store and to carry the stuff that they need. It was a much more uh, heavy-duty type of basket, sort of affirming a different story and exposing that this truly was a Gentile a territory, that this, this miracle happened. Um, and so they, they ate, they were full, they collected the leftovers, and we're told that about 4,000 were there, and then he sent them away. He's like, okay, you guys are full, you're fed, you've been taken care of, now it's time to go home. And immediately, verse 10, he entered the boat with his disciples, and he came to the district of Dalman Nuutha, which is a city that nobody knows where this town is. We believe that it was probably just a you know, this whole region, uh, the, the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee, um, 
There's Tiberius right here, but just north of that by Magdala, from there all the way to Capernaum, there are just tiny little spots that the fishermen would all know. And so it's just believed that this is one little town because Matthew records that it was near Magdala. And, and, and so that's why we believe that it's a little region just there. He says it was in the area of Magdala, and he marked lists a specific town. Um, of Dalmanuthua. So we come to verse 11. They get there, and the Pharisees, of course, would not go into the Gentile territory because no self-respecting Jew would. But as soon as he lands, they're there waiting for him again. And the Pharisees came out, and they began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And here Jesus, again, sighs deeply like he, it just you sense the frustration that he has with these guys. They're, th- these are not men who are genuinely seeking answers. They're not genuinely going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we have all sorts of questions about what you're doing in these miracles. And <clears throat> they have an agenda. And anybody who teaches or has encountered any sort of teaching, there are students that have very genuine desire to learn and to figure out what's being taught. And then there are others who have an agenda and they're not there to learn and they're not there to uh, be equipped. They're the worst kind of students. Um, and these Pharisees are coming after Jesus. Their, their sole agenda is to, to c- convict him. And to get him off of the stage because he's threatening their power. And so Jesus sighs deeply in his spirit and he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you that no sign will be given this generation. Matthew records, he says, The only sign that you'll get is that of Jonah. Which seems to link the story of of Jonah to the death, burial, and resurrection. And we're, we're entering... This, this transitional stage of Mark that Jesus is, is entering into. So next week, we're going to see that they go up to Caesarea Philippi, and it's the, the scene where Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And he begins to explain to his disciples that he's going to the cross and that he's going to be sacrificed. And, and so there's this, there's this, okay, you guys have seen it all. You're, you haven't believed the, the miracles that you've seen already. You don't need any other sign. You saw the miracle of Jonah this prophet who came and gave warning and they responded and you guys didn't. And, and, and he's just frustrated with them. And I do think that there's a lesson as Jesus interacts with the Pharisees that to the humble, God lifts up. And if you're humble and you seek him and you honestly have questions and you're wrestling, God is going to give you the answer but if you're like me, when I, like, before I came to Christ, I remember going to church on Tuesdays because my friend nagged me, and I feel like I had a yellow pad. I didn't actually have a yellow pad, but all I did while the pastor was speaking was take notes about everything I disagreed with, and I don't know why I kept going back, but I was just furious with this guy, and I, it must have been the free pizza was kept me coming back, and then event, like eventually, somewhere in the journey, God broke me. And, and my spirit changed. And then I began to, to just my, how I approached 
the, the message of the scriptures, it, it adjusted and my life was transformed. But so he leaves them, he departs from them, he basically doesn't, it, you don't get the impression that he engaged them too deeply. He, he's like, whatever he has to do to get out of there. And so then he leaves and he zigzags across to Bethsaida, up north there. <clears throat> so leaving them, he, he again embarked and went away to the other side. But we're back in Jewish country. I know I did the da-da-da-da for the other side, but this other side is good for them. So they're up, they're up, not in the, the, the capitalist area. So good Jewish people would be free to go there. They would, like, a couple of the disciples were from this town, and they, they head to the other side, but they'd forgotten to take bread. And they did, they, they did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. Um, <clears throat> it's so terrible when you like go on a trip and you're like, did I leave the oven on? It's like you haven't cooked in three days, but for some reason the oven being on is going to drive you crazy. Um, <clears throat> they realize that they, they're like, we have one loaf of bread. Of all those leftovers, we just left them on the, the coast with... Um, with uh, with the Pharisees. Um, I, I have this recurring nightmare, two of them. <clears throat> the, the one is me preaching, and then the old nature of Gunner comes back, and in my preaching, I just start using a bunch of cuss words. <laughs> <clears throat> it's a terrible nightmare. Like, I hate it. And it's like I'm up here preaching, and I'm just like going to town with my mouth, and it might be entertaining, but it's a horrific dream. The, the other one that happens is every now and again, I'll get an old SEAL buddy that then makes his like Hollywood debut in a movie that there's a little bit more violence than I, I normally watch. And it'll be like a military show, combat-oriented stuff, which I tend to stay away from. But I'll, be, I'll get lured back in if I know my friend's going to be in it. <clears throat> and normally, they're sort of like military renditions with the kind of gear we used. And then, my, so my other nightmare is after watching one of these shows, it's like after 15 years of being away, I'm suddenly back in the SEAL teams, but I don't have any of my gear. Like I forgot all my gear in the dream and like I'm showing up for this mission and like all I have is my like camis that I wear for weed whacking now, you know, because I have some of my gear still from the teams, but I have my boots that are all weed whacked up and I end up on these missions like with my weed whacking gear. <clears throat> And it's like, Gunnar, where's all your stuff? It's like, I just, I forgot it. I don't know where it is. Like, I'd like, and I, somehow my dream, you know, the whole part about that I got out of the military and I had to turn it all back in and it's not been my responsibility to care for it. So I'm, I kind of, somewhere in there, I'm relating to these guys because Jesus is talking about leaven and leaven's used to making bread and they're like, Jesus is now being passive-aggressive towards us. <clears throat> he, excuse me, he, he knows. Um, th- like, we left the bread, they're sort of murmuring. I, this is a small environment on this boat. I don't know how they think they can have a conversation without him knowing about it. Um, and he's giving orders to them, verse 15, uh, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So if we were to go back, I believe it's in chapter 3. This is sort of where the Pharisees left the scene because they're plotting with the Herodians and each other to take care of Jesus. 
And these were strange bedfellows. They, they would have hate, they hated each other. But now that Jesus is sort of threatening the both of them, they're okay working with each other. And so now Jesus is talking about this confrontation that he had on the shoreline with the Pharisees. And he's telling them, he's like, you guys have to beware of these guys and the things that they teach and their, the spirit about them. They're legalists. They don't understand uh, the, the, the true message of God. They've distorted the word of God. But these guys are thinking Jesus has just called them out for forgetting the bread. So in verse 16, they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And as funny as it is, I absolutely love this picture of the disciples weren't perfect. Jesus is this patient teacher, and he's so patient with us. Hopefully we all say amen, because like I, I'm still figuring stuff out. I'm convinced that Jesus made me become a pastor so that I would learn how to be a Christian. Um, and they're just sitting there going, he's calling us out for forgetting the bread. Who was supposed to get the bread? Were you supposed to get the bread? No, you had the bread. And Jesus is trying to have this serious conversation, and he realizes that they're not paying attention to a word he's saying. And verse 17, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Like, what is it about you guys that you're, you're missing the big picture? You guys have a, a, a front row seat to the Messiah's coming and his teaching, and, and, and he's heading to the cross. His time's going short. He's like, you guys really should be figuring this stuff out, and yet you're not. And then he says, and having ears, do you not hear? Now, that should, that's, that's why I read the first part. So, and having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves? I'm sorry, I skipped the, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? So he quotes this Old Testament passage dealing with spiritual deafness and spiritual blindness, which just happened to bookend the story of the multiplication of bread for the 4,000, this confrontation of the Pharisees, and then this discussion about who forgot the bread. Like, so it seems apparent all of a sudden that the story about the guy who's deaf and the guy who's blind are merely object lessons to show the, the spiritual blindness and deafness of the disciples and our own spiritual blindness and deafness. Because he's saying, you guys, you're not getting it. And he says to them, and, and do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? So the first incident, he says, how many loaves did you pick up? Like when it was all said and done, when I provided all of this, when I took care of you in this situation, when, when everybody was done eating and satisfied, how, how much leftovers were there? It kind of does remind me, I was, I was following the wasp when Dave started asking me the question but I do have a reputation about the ham now that, I'm, now that I'm tracking what Dave was saying. So much so that some of the people said, Gunner, we had so much leftover ham. We got to like the signups, we need to adjust it a little bit. <clears throat> so I conceded. But Jesus, like, like it's like, you know, Henry St. Gunner, do you remember how much ham was left over last year? <laughs> like, oh man, there was a ton. I ate it for weeks afterwards. It was awesome. <clears throat> and so they look at him and they said, 
12 baskets. We remember exactly. He says, when I, when I broke the seven loaves of bread, just to fill in the details, for the 4,000, the second incident, how many large baskets of full broken pieces did you pick up? And notice how like, short their answers are, seven. Like we remember, 12, seven, plenty. Your God that's the provider, you can provide for us. The fact that we only have one loaf of bread is really not that big of a deal. Why are we stressing out about it? Like, I think the light bulb is starting to come on in their head. Like, the, ah, we blew it. We were so close. <clears throat> and he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Well, I think that they are getting it at this point. But, but I, I love their, um, their maturing. And I don't think they're going to fully quite mature until they see the resurrected Christ. The, suddenly the light bulb is going to come on, and we see that these men really change. But, but there's a, a huge encouragement to us because we're going to move from this story and we're going to make our way up to Caesarea Philippi and Jesus is going to start pressing them again about who he is. And then from there, we're going to go to the transfiguration when Jesus sort of reveals his divinity to three of the 12 disciples. And, and, and so there's this progression in their lives and it's okay for you to be a little bit slow maturing spiritually it doesn't happen overnight and as you're going and you stumble and you you have setbacks it's okay like God's working on you like like you're not going to attain perfection in this life perfection is from we get our new bodies and so this is all very encouraging to me like personally I know you guys are ahead of me but I like to me this is really encouraging I love it I love it Um, then we then we land at Bethsaida verse 22 And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. And so now we're back on the other side. There's this blind man, sort of the bookend of the deaf man, Um, just like Mark 7.32 with with the deaf man. They're imploring him. They're pleading with him desperately. And, And so just in verse 23, very similar. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, after spitting Jesus' spit was powerful. I wish they sold that today. You know, this is like the... <laughs> Excuse me, I inhaled a lot of dust this week. Um, after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, well, I, I see men. I see, they're like trees walking around. And so this is the image of when you go to the optometrist and you get your eye examined, you're sitting there in that little machine and they're like, Click, click, left or right, right. Click, click, left. Click, click, right. Click, click, whatever. And they're, they're kind of going through all the slides till you're like, that's it, that's clear, we're good. And, and so it's, it's kind of a weak, like this is one that has the commentators all like, why is Jesus doing the little optometry test? Like was, was Jesus' powers a little off that day? And the answer is, of course not. They almost all point out, they're like, this was to, to, to show the, the disciples their growth and that it's a little bit slow. Like they were blind. And then they, they start to see a little bit, like they're starting to get spiritually minded. And, and then what they, what they have in their, their vision is like what are humans, but they look like trees kind of moving around. And if, you know, my grandfather had macular degeneration and, 
And, um, and, you know, Ray Moore, when you talk to him about what he sees, that as his vision is faded, he talks about, well, I see, you know, I can see shapes and I can see shadows, but it's not clear like it used to be. Um, but then, as Jesus continues to work on the guy, he basically looks and his eyes are restored and he began to see everything clearly and he sent him home, don't, don't, don't even enter the village, just stay clear of the people. <clears throat> and so this seems to be uh, this object lesson to the disciples to encourage them. They're like, you're, you're getting there. Like right now you guys are learning lessons but the objects are still a little bit blurry in your, in your view. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. That's like every wedding ceremony. This is like the, the love chapter. Um, but Paul writes, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have fully been known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so it's sort of this, this, this picture that as you come to Christ, you know, the maturity, like it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a decade. It, 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 it really happens when we transition from this life of this fallen body to, to our new body, that's when perfection happens. And, and here it's kind of like the stock market. There's ups and downs, and, and hopefully you're listening to the Spirit of God and you're walking with Him. And when you look back 10 years, you can see progress. Um, sometimes in the day-to-day, you don't see it. Like you don't like something happens and you're doing so well, then there's a stumbling. And then you have friends, ideally, that you're connected to the local church and that you have relationships and then your, your brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside you and say, hey, are you doing okay? Like, you're doing this and it, 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 it worries me. I, um, you know, I don't know. If, uh, it's always the bad time to like, ask, me, ask permission, whatever, but Jeremiah would share with me. Can I share a little bit about your story? So <laughs> I got him on the record. He said, okay. <clears throat> It's always, it's always dangerous when you hang out with the pastor because it's like then a story will come. No, but we went to the hockey game last night on the way home. He was, we were talking about shift work, and, and sometimes with shift work, when you're working in the graveyards, it's really hard to get to church. And, and, but he had a friend that lived like in Minnesota that flew out here to confront him, to say like, hey, man, why are, like, you really need to like, get your life in order so that you can be in church. And I'm like, that is a really good friend. Super hard word. But man, don't we love friends like that? And, and, and that there's this progress. And we see Jesus working on the disciples. And it, it's, it's beautiful, okay? Um, so this whole story, first and foremost, we see Jesus' divinity th- throughout. He's God. He's... Um, He's perfect. He's without sin. He provides for the people. He's able to, to, to miraculously take care of their needs when he doesn't have to. There's, there's a lesson for us in that. As we struggle day to day, we, we um, because of the fall, 
like we're told that you're going to have to toil, you're going to have to work, you're going you're, you're to have to provide for your family, you're going to have to care for that around you. Um, it's not fun, it's not pleasant. And it, it, it like creates worry and panic at times. But here we, we see this God who sees the panic and can provide for you in miraculous ways. Um, we see his compassion. Like you think you're suffering, you think you're calling out to him, you think that he's not listening to you. I can assure you that God is hearing your prayers and he knows what's best for you. And sometimes what's best for us is to suffer a little bit longer, <clears throat> which we don't like that one. In this story, we see the Pharisees. These guys are guys that they thought they had it all figured out. They... Um, they thought that they owned the scriptures. They thought that God worked for them and not the other way around. They had the Messiah right in their midst and they missed him. And so there's a huge lesson for those of us that have been walking with Christ for um, humility. That there's, there's room for your brothers and sisters in Christ to like that I have dear friends that land way over here on a spiritual issue, and I have friends that land way over here on the same spiritual issue, and it's like there's, there's room uh, for variance of view. Let's keep the main things, the, the main things. And the Pharisees didn't. They were dogmatic, theologically arrogant, and, and they missed the boat. I mean, the majority of them missed the boat. Not all of them. Like, there were good Pharisees as well before we throw them all under the bus. I mean, Paul, the, the man that God used that had the, the most influence on the church was a Pharisee. Um, and then we just see the patience of Jesus working with the disciples, which, 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 I, which, which I love. Uh, when I look at the story, I think of Paul's verse, uh, when he writes in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 12, we'll end with it. Paul, the great apostle, the guy who was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the guy who was on the pipeline um, to, to, to being the leader of, of the Sanhedrin, which is basically the Jewish Supreme Court, he encounters Christ and he realizes that everything that he'd been working for was, was, was he says, dumb. Um, and he suddenly realizes that it's about this relationship with the all-powerful God, that he was a... a a, a, a terrible sinner. I, I, John Newton is a man, you know, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. That um, if you've never seen the movie Amazing Grace, I would like it's one of those movies that I encourage. They really portray him well. That you know he goes blind at the end of his life, and that song that we all know and love. What does it say? I was blind, but now I see clearly. This, this awakening of the soul which God wants us to have. And Paul says, I, I'll get, I, I know I started, but I did. Paul writes in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. This is the guy that wrote a huge percentage of the New Testament. He wrote virtually all of the books dealing with the church. And this man that God used he says, I haven't obtained it. He's like, I don't look behind me. I just look on. I look forward to Christ. And there's hope there. I think there's a lesson for us to stop uh, 
being phony. God has gone to the cross for you. The, The offer is there for you to respond it's a gift that's given by grace. There's not, no obligation on you. It's, just, it's simply to believe. And then from there, he begins to work on you. And in your imperfection, he is patient, he is kind, he is gentle. I believe it's Romans 2.4 that says, don't forget that it was the kindness of God that led you to salvation. So Gunners added, don't be a jerk to others who aren't there yet. <laughs> like, be patient. Be kind. Continue to love them because you were an unlovable person and you maybe still are an unlovable person, but Christ loves you and he gave his son for you. So with that, let's pray. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that that wasp didn't bother any one of us today. Um, Lord, we thank you for the stories that are sort of bound together here. We have the, the deaf man and the blind man. We have the Pharisees, the miraculous feeding of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that as you gave these guys hearing and sight, that you would give us hearing and sight, that we would be attuned to your spirit in our lives. Father, help us uh, to, to go the distance with you. We, we need you, Lord. Um, we know that our flesh is weak, um, but we are willing and we desire, Lord, uh, to press on in you. And so we ask that you would guide us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.